0: Good evening, Rifters! This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e d Podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm
1: Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk about high level play. <laughs> So, this is a very interesting topic that was suggested to us on the Discord. Uh, Unfortunately, I did not write down who gave that to us, which in retrospect, I really ought to have. Oh, well. uh, You know who you are, and thank you. Anyway, so every edition... Of dungeons and dragons has a very different feel when you get to max level so as this is a fifth edition D podcast we will be focusing on that so that being said so nathan what is the highest level that you have ever actually gotten to play in fifth edition
0: i think it was um maybe seventh level that's what level we were that was your highest I, I think so, if I'm not wrong.
1: All right. All right. So my actual current game is a group of their level 14 now, but I have actually in the past played post level 20 games. So I have played in a fifth edition epic campaign, and that was a lot of fun for me. Because, as is known to most people listening by now, I love logic and playing around with numbers and creativity. So, seeing what happens in a high level game is something that I am extremely fond of. However, there is a lot of issues with 5th edition high-level play. So before I start on the typical Remy rant, just from what your experience in D&D 5th edition has been, what do you think could become problematic for D&D high-level?
0: Just simply the amount of choices the player can make, and also managing, like... Stuff like oh, um, I have these abilities, and certain abilities do uh what do you call that create might may or may not create effects that you would might have trouble remembering as the game <laughs> goes on.
1: Absolutely. So from the player side of things, excess of choice is absolutely one of the most common difficulties, something that is actually exacerbated a lot of the time by starting at a higher level. So a lot of DMs and players like to start a little bit higher level because a low level fifth edition character is extremely squishy. So it's not at all uncommon to start at third or fifth level. And at that point, it is very often said by a lot of people online in comic shops, Just I've had a lot of conversations about this, that levels five to ten is considered by most to be the sweet spot of fifth edition. So those are the levels at which you can begin to feel powerful as a character in comparison to the world around you while still having a manageable character to run but as you get higher level especially past level 10 that is the point where things begin to get difficult and like you said choice anxiety is very very much a thing and especially if you are starting at a higher level it becomes much more difficult to understand how your many many abilities interact with each other especially for some classes that have more abilities so if you're playing a barbarian for example Except for a couple of subclasses that get more complicated, you generally are still just going to rage and hit stuff, and that's a barbarian from 1 to 20, for the most part. On the other hand, if you have a spellcaster, and let's say a bard in particular, because a wizard, as powerful a spellcaster as they are, don't... Actually, get that many other abilities. So, Wizard, I would say, is actually easier to play than certain other spellcasters at high level. But a Bard or a Cleric, on the other hand, in addition to being full spellcasters, also get a lot of class abilities. So trying to understand, oh, uh, I have you know a pool of healing dice in addition to my spell slots that I have to keep track of, and oh, my spell slots themselves. At this level, I've got you know four first level slots, some second level, third level, all the way up to you know up to ninth level spells, and having to keep track of all of those spell slots. You know, a sorcerer has their sorcery points as well, a monk and their key. There are more and more things to keep track of. So, sp- Starting a game at higher level is very much more difficult to do. Uh, This is also kind of funny because literally just after we record this episode, we're going to be recording episode one of our Vetrum campaign. And in that game, we are running this mini campaign at level 12. So for most of the people in the group, possibly even all of them except for me, this is going to be their first experience with a level 12 character. And these characters are somewhat complicated. So having to start at 12th level, you will be getting that experience in just an hour. But anyway, for all of you at home, there are a number of ways though to make it easier to run a higher level character. So the first option as I sort of touched on a moment ago, if you choose to play a simpler simpler class, that is the most direct way to make it easier on yourself. So playing a barbarian or a champion fighter or an assassin rogue, a creature or sorry, a character rather that has very set abilities so that as you get a feel for them it has a much lower learning curve than something like a high level bard or cleric. However bards or clerics are really fun classes to play so that shouldn't be the only consideration is just oh don't play a complicated class. I would absolutely not suggest that in general I will simply say it is an option that you have in general I would say the best thing that you can do when starting a high level game is to have a session 0 where you have the full character sheets and take the time for your players and protect you know hopefully with your dm to for both of you to understand these are the abilities that the character has and i would highly suggest if you have the time to do so to run through a practice game to actually have that full session 0 to get to actually see in combat or in a you know practice diplomatic situation to try oh okay i have these are the skills that i have they can be used this way these are my abilities these are my spells like unfortunately there really is no better way than practice yes there are some people like me in the world that know a majority of the DD spells and abilities But, well, there's a reason that I identify with beholders and mind flayers so much. I am an aberration. (laughs) But in all seriousness, though, there are so many things that need to be understood. And even besides the actual knowledge of abilities and comfort in using them, there is another aspect of things that is very important to consider. And that is... I'm curious how many of you are going to get it before I say it. Action economy. Uh, We need a t-shirt. Wow. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So a lot of classes have multi-attack and some like the fighter get more as they level up to the point where a 20th level fighter has four attacks per action but even aside from fighters most other combat classes have some way to attack multiple targets whether that is a monk using their flurry of blows or whether it's a magic user like a wizard or sorcerer using some area of effect spell there are many, many ways for characters to get multiple attacks out there in some form or other. So, action economy skews in the player's favor the more that they level up. And this is true against a lot of mooks, and it's also true against a boss monster. Because action economy... Skews so heavily in the player's favor. So, using a boss monster, let's say a vampire, a single vampire is an incredibly powerful, dangerous creature. However, if you have a group of player characters that are all, you know, let's just say level 12, since that's something we're more familiar with in the prep for the new game. So if the group is all level 12, that means that all the melee fighters have two attacks or so. Uh, They might have a feat or two under their belt. They have some ability score improvements under their belt at that point. They probably have a magic item or two or three by that point in the game, depending on how high magic the world is. So a group of level 12 characters, let's say, you know, five level 12 characters for the sake of argument that would mean that there are potentially 10 attacks you know with a little bit more or less depending on the exact class balance but for the sake of argument 10 attacks if you've got one creature that rolls average on initiative even so they have three characters go before them and two characters go after them if a magic user just uses something like a hold person then that boss is fucked And they get absolutely no actions, and then there are a flood of attacks while they just can't do a goddamn thing. So it takes only one spell or ability, you know, a monk with the ability to stun, for example, with their stunning strike available at fifth level even... So they have potentially four chances with their unarmed strikes to stun a boss. So a monk being dexterity-based is really likely to be able to pull that off with a decent initiative. So a monk can stun the boss, a magic user can stun the boss. There's so many ways to prevent a single powerful creature from acting. And as people who listen to riff Wake also know it doesn't matter how powerful an enemy is if they don't get a turn and considering that as much as a lot of powerful creatures in D start getting more and more and more hit points as the game goes up in level the thing is the damage also scales and so do the number of attacks so If you have a high level party, it is so very easy for them to do, you know, 400 damage. If you've got a very powerful group and just stun the creature one turn, then, yeah, it's easy to do 200 a turn for two turns for that 400 total. And then there are very few things in the game with more than four freaking hundred hit points. So it is incredibly difficult to have a boss-type monster in high-level 5th edition. And even aside from the stun side of things, there are a number of spells that are save or die. Not to mention the fact that you even, if you get high enough level, have something like Power Ward Kill, where they don't even get a freaking saving throw. If you can just reduce the hit points enough, they just die. So that ability of powerful magic in the hands of a party makes fifth edition bosses pretty much impossible to adequately run because bosses just don't have the hit points, they don't have the action economy, they don't have the saving throws, even if you have a legendary monster that can allow them to automatically succeed on a handful of saving throws, those can be blown through in a round, and then they just get their shit wrecked in round two. So yes, that is a helpful ability that many boss monsters do have, but it's insufficient the action economy of 5th edition D&D truly does prevent high-level bosses, which is extremely unfortunate. On the other hand, it is impossible for there to be like the giant boss battle alone. And that is the point where dungeon masters need to be much more careful and more creative. So in a high-level D&D game, The trick to it, quote unquote, is to have the proper balance of action economy. And this is one of the hardest things for a DM to do is to understand the balance of their entire party well enough to throw a threatening encounter at the party that doesn't destroy them, and that hopefully doesn't get destroyed with ease by the party. Because, for players, you want them to have fun. The goal of d in general is for all of you to have fun. So if the players wreck everything in front of them with the greatest of ease and not ever have any actual struggle that can be easy for them to get complacent and bored. So a DM is supposed to at least somewhat threaten the party. But if you just say, fuck it, 10 red dragons, go, well, that's not very fair either. So understanding... That balance is the finest line and hardest job of a dungeon master, but is immensely important. And also, one of the very, very good reasons to do that session zero is for the DM to know because even though you might understand, okay, this interacts with this, interacts with this on a character, understanding the party dynamic and what kind of alley-oop or setup different characters can do for each other is also very important for the players to learn and for the DM to understand. So it is highly recommended to do that session zero and to show both the DM and the players all have there be the one strong creature fight and have there be a horde fight of some sort in order to find where that line is. Technically, a DM does have the option as long as they have all the character sheets to just run an entire combat on their own, but unless, you know, you are my type of crazy who understands all of the characters well enough to do that, then I would say that is not recommended in general although it is something to keep in mind if you are able and willing to do such so i've been ranting a lot let me throw back to you nathan for a bit what do you think would be the struggles and solutions to your understanding of a high level game
0: well for me um in a high level game as a dungeon master the m- main issues i foresee happening is simply just um The amount of things that players can do will very often circumvent whatever I put forward. So like typically if I come up with a problem, most likely a spellcaster might have just one thing that allows them to just solve that issue instantly rather than having it actually be an issue as opposed to in earlier levels, if you know what I mean. Absolutely.
1: That is a fantastic point, and you are correct. So, as an example of that, that immediately comes to mind. Travel in early to mid-level D&D is an enormous part of the journey of D&D. Having to travel through the dangerous wilds to get from city to city. However, by the time characters get the spell teleport they then become able to flat out skip all of that and even if you have a high magic world with the spell teleportation circle cast in a lot of places that spell allows the party to just get brought to another teleportation circle and that one is only a 5th level spell meaning. Potentially a party can have that as soon as level 9, which isn't really that high level at all. So considering the fact that if you have any party over level 10, there are very decent odds that someone in the party can have teleportation circle and in a medium to high magic world, therefore be able to just travel city to city, completely skipping over... All of the in-between, so all of those potential random encounters and plot hooks, are no longer as relevant to such a party. However, I've been ranting a whole lot about the downsides of high-level play, and I do feel that that is important to start with because that is how most people unfortunately focus on high level fifth edition is the downsides so now let me turn everything around and shift the focus to how awesome high level play can be so i did mention earlier that a player that players can get bored potentially if they do just plow through everything in their way however That also does very much depend on the players. There is very much a place in the world for having that kind of hack and slash gameplay where the party does just plow through the things in the way because they do stand head and and shoulders above normal mortal men. So having that power at your fingertips very much embraces the side of D&D that is escapist fantasy. So yes, different players may want to have the more you know, diplomatic-type gameplay where you're having more conversations. Some people just want to blow shit up. And you absolutely have a lot of power and opportunities to do so in high-level Also, because of the fact that high-level players get a good chunk more hit points, they have almost the opposite issue of a boss— Because every single person in the party has 100 hit points or more, I've actually, like my, (laughs) so one person in my group purposefully made the tankiest tank that ever tanked. (laughs) And at, I want to say level 14 now, has 253 hit points. Mm -hmm. Such a character. Yes. So he put everything into getting higher hit points, everything that could more con, even the tome that raises constitution above 20 and then getting the berserker axe to get that extra hit point per level. The toughness, fe- basically stacking every single source of extra hit points available, which is all of them because high magic world for my game <laughs> So, yeah, so he built himself to be an enormous tank, and that makes that character ridiculously difficult to kill. So I mentioned that a boss could easily take 200 damage a round and then die in two rounds. However, a party has the action economy on their side so even if you have a few powerful monsters or a larger number of weaker creatures a party is actually very very difficult to kill at that level and that's even before you get into the resurrection angle of things which i will get to momentarily but considering that you, if you have five people in the party that have 100 to 200 hit points each, then that means the party average could be somewhere around 750 to cause a TPK. And that's before you get into healing class features and healing magic and potions or any of that. So a party can relatively easily have, you know, 800, 900, you know, high enough level, a thousand hit points that they really need to get through before a TPK. So monsters do not have the numbers to pull that off, except in extremely rare situations that are more often than not a DM fuck-up of scale. But to do a thousand damage to a party is hard. So that is one of those situations where you see both the pro and the con. It is incredibly difficult to kill a high-level party. However, this allows for a lot of DM creativity, trying to figure out how do you challenge such a party? How do you make the characters feel things when they can so very easily just kill everyone and this is actually an issue that i tackled in one of my games a couple of years ago and it actually just came up in conversation in my game this week of just like i miss that guy and the situation was the players were higher level than all the guards in the city, and they were not good people. So my players got arrested, but willingly went along to meet with the captain of the guard because he's someone that they'd interacted with before, so they were willing to at least chat before any potential arrest may or may not have happened. And there was an interaction just between him and them, where he just was at his desk and just asked them, well, what would happen if I did try to arrest you all? And the response, both out of character and in character, was hysterical laughter. like. The party knew that there was jack shit that he could do about it, and the players themselves just found that hysterical and cracked up laughing that he would even ask. So this has just kind of been immortalized in our group of just, he asks the question, they cackle, and immediately he was on the ball and just responded, that's what I thought. And he had to just begin a negotiation so a diplomatic styled encounter of how do you deal? with these high level characters in the world and trying to figure out how will the people in your world interact with these gods among men is important and fun. So that encounter is still talked about. That happened four or five years ago now, something like that. And it just came up in conversation two days ago of just like, that guy was cool. I liked, you know, he had moxie. So Things to think about also. So moving on. How many high-level people are in your world? This is another of those very important world questions because if you have a lot of people that are inordinately stronger than any law enforcement in the area, well, that law enforcement isn't in charge anymore. The powerful people are because unfortunately... Might does make right for a good chunk of the world, more especially in a magical world like D&D, when you can literally reshape reality once you have access to Wish and such, and even a lot of weaker spell abilities even before that point. People with magic have literal power at their fingertips, and often would end up politically powerful as well due to their abilities. So, it is worth thinking about for all dungeon masters. Are all of the people in charge high-level people? Or is there something in the world that allows non-powerful people to keep some form of control? So, if you have, you know, a dozen powerful magic users in the world that are like the rulers of each of the individual cities, there's not a lot that could be done against such people, especially when you consider there's magic out there like clone to potentially allow them to endlessly be reborn if they are to be killed. So high level magic users can become immortal in more ways than just lichhood. Or there's, like we talked about the other day in the wizard's episode, there's the uh, transmutation wizard that can restore youth to an individual. There's also the potion of longevity with a similar effect. So thinking about how all of that influences the world... Influences the world, so needs to be thought about. And from my side of things, I love this shit. Thinking, okay, wait a minute. So if there is you know, the wish spell, how many people can cast that? You know, So that is available for wizards, um, bards are able to pick it, arcana clerics could potentially pick it up. Uh, there's a number of them. So a number of people, of classes rather, can cast wish. So then, okay, how many people are 17th level or higher to be able to, then what are those people doing? And thinking about that is actually how I do my world building. I do the outside in, as we've talked about somewhat extensively at this point. So thinking about, okay, there's this many people who can cast wish, what are they all doing? Or just thinking about, okay, if there are this many, what so the way that I actually do my demographics, so quick tangent, I'll try not to get overly wordy about this part, I actually calculated what I feel to be the percentages at each level of someone advancing up a level. And then with that, I just plug in my world population and then I have a chart of the full demographics of, okay, there's this many level 20s, this many level ones and everything in between. Oh, actually level zeros and level 20s and everything in between. And then I also figured out the odds of based on the magic availability in my world, what are the odds of someone being a wizard or being a warlock or being a fighter? So with those two numbers, put together I have full demographics of there are this many level 12 wizards, there are this many level 18 warlocks, and I have numbers for that, for my world. So I know exactly how many people can cast wish. And using that knowledge, I built everything else. So that, okay, so if you have that much powerful magic, then terrain doesn't even really matter. I can build a city wherever I want to because I can just wish for shit and i don't have to worry about myself dying because i've got 10 clones that i teleported around the world as backups in case i die and again there's so much creativity available to a dm through all of the many many high level magics available to them However, uh, I have been ranting a lot on the magic side of things, so let me just also tangent a bit to the less magical side of things. So, high-level fighters and rogues and rangers—well, rangers are magic too, but half. Anyway, you get the idea the less magic people, they arguably would have higher numbers on their side because generally speaking, melee characters have a lot of more danger being in melee, but they usually have the hit points to back it up. So statistically speaking, I I at least from my world came to the conclusion that there would be a significant number more melee type classes that would get too high level just because there are generally more of them in the world. I mean in a low magic world that would be skewed even farther. There would be way more fighters and rogues just in the world. So there would be more of them at high level. So thinking about that, okay. So at what point would what would a guard be? What would the king's guard be? And thinking about all of those facts to place, where are all of the high-level people? Who becomes, you know, the captain of the guard? Like, what do former adventurers do if they decide to retire? Like, if someone gets, you know, a bad injury but can't quite afford, you know, regenerate to get their missing leg back or something like that, then they're still a very strong person just with an unfortunate disability. So thinking about all of the places that these high powered people can go helps you shape the world itself. In summary, while there are some challenges in high level 5th edition play, such as the action economy skew to the players, it is by no means insurmountable, and while there's also the challenge of just knowing all of your abilities when you start off at a higher level instead of growing into it. Again, with a session 0 and just the chance to practice it, there are so very many, many ways that players and DMs alike can have a fantastic, high-level game experience.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Rifts and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com/slash Podcast. Tier stars, loads a dollar. And even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, we will be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riff Wake Podcast, on Facebook as RiffWake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash RiffWakePodcast. Now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com.
1: That's riffs, A-N-D, rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.